Hey guys, I just wanted to reach out to you and let you know that Sherwinder is still selling amazing products. Some of you guys have been dragging your feet for whatever reason. If your shoulder hurts, do not waste time. Pull the trigger. I just bought uh, four or five of them and uh, we had two guys out. You know how much it cost me to pay for two guys being out with bad shoulders? We just pulled the trigger and we said, listen, everybody's going to have one on a truck. It's mandatory. You got to use it. Don't hesitate. Don't wait till your guys go down. It's going to cost you more. Buy a sure winner. It's not every day someone invents something that changes the game. I found out about this product that I'm talking to you about, uh, and I had to try it. So I ordered a few, and after using it, I'm sold. Now we stock them on our trucks. It's called Allbrace. And it will help you sell more service and buy you time until doors come in. There's never been a greater time for a product like this. Phil has a video on his website of him cutting a door literally in half, installing the all brace and running it like nothing ever happened. It is literally incredible. One of the greatest selling videos I've ever seen. You're going to want to check it out at all-brace.com. What's up guys? We have... A special guest today that uh, I've got a lot of questions for, uh, for multiple reasons. And I feel like it'll be good for our industry to hear what's going on in another industry, as well as some devastation they're trying to uh, survive right now. So welcome, Keith. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming. I, uh, I appreciate you. Uh, I know it sounds like something came up today and we were able to hammer down another time. So you were pretty flexible and I appreciate uh, sticking with it and making it happen. Absolutely. Imagine your hands are full. I, uh, it's organized chaos and I thrive in that arena. Yeah, me too. Not so much all of my employees, but yes, uh, I do. It's a, it's a playing field that my mind does well with, but most people don't like it. So tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, where you're, what company you're with. I think there's like two brands that you're associated with. Yes, sir. Uh, and let's start from there. Yeah, so quick, um, I'm the uh, oldest sibling of two to Bill and Donna Dobman. My brother and I were born and raised in Western Massachusetts. Uh, my mom and dad, very blue collar town. My mother was a neighborhood beautician. Uh, my father was, a, was an alarm a home alarm installer, and he was a professional rocker, uh, hockey referee uh, at night. Nice. Was a lot of money to be made back then. Uh, I, this was uh, late 70s, early 80s. When I was 12 years old, uh, I was given the gift of cancer. I had Hodgkin's non-lymphoma. My parents didn't have enough money to get me the treatment I needed. And so they leveraged their house and started a service business. It started off as closet shelving and then kind of morphed into closet shelving, shower doors, mirrors. And um, that's kind of how my brother and I's journey became uh, into entrepreneurship. It was a true American dream, blessing in disguise, all the cliched phrases you've ever heard. You fast forward, uh, five years past that, I got the treatment I needed in the Boston uh, Children's Hospital and grew up working in a family business uh, that saved my life. And it brought my family closer together, but we all still work together still to this day. Um, in 2003, my folks were wanting to get a winter home in Florida. They've shared a car their whole life. They still share a car. Like they're inseparable, <laughs> which I don't understand, but it works for them. So God bless them. Yeah. They, they, they came down for a month, um, in 2000 to kind of scour Florida, see where they could find a winter home and task my brother and I to see if we could kind of run the ship for a month. <laughs> and, uh, they came back and we did well. And then my brother and I came down on a, on a weekend trip to play golf in Florida. We'd never left New England. We just didn't have the money or means to ever leave. So when we came down to Naples, Florida, we were awestruck <laughs> by the, like we'd never seen the wealth in person that we experienced here in Naples. And uh, we got back and we told our folks, you know, I know it's in the cards for us to take over the business and you guys would kind of slowly take longer trips down there and, you know, the, the passing of the torch, if you will, and they'd still have their insurances and everything. 
And we suggested that they sell everything, their house, their business, the buildings, and retire. And my brother and I would take the gamble of taking what we learned through our parents, um, through the so-called tragedy that, you know, was first dropped on them with their child and, and kind of rebrand it and kind of put our spin on it. And within a year that happened, they sold their business, the house, the building, and we all migrated to Southwest Florida. And that's where my brother and I started a company called My Shower Door, started in 2003 in North Naples. That's where I'm sitting right now. Um, we've been uh, growing that company since 03. We now have uh, 10 retail locations up the West Coast of Florida, one on the East Coast. During the last recession, we decided to go vertical. We like to do everything that everyone says, you should never do that. This is a bad time, that'll never work. That's where we run. And so we went vertical and invested in our own manufacturing facility to supply all of our stores. Consequently, we ended up getting most of our competitors as well on the retail side to buy from us. Um, in the shower door industry or railing certain applications for glass, it's a state and federal code that it be tempered. And there's not as many tempers as there are just retail installers just because of the upfront capital that it takes to even get in that side of the business. Yeah. Um, during that time, my brother and I almost ruined the whole business because we had no manufacturing background whatsoever. But again, uh, we seemed to thrive during chaos and tough times. We made a couple of really good hires and the culture changed like overnight. So now here we are um, sitting in front of my architectural glass, which was really just born off of customer service and clients that we were servicing through the My Shower Door. Right. And I, even though we could have sold the products that we're selling here under that name, um, we didn't want to tarnish our brand. You know, I know you do overhead garage doors. Well, you could do um, attics and, you know, AC units in the garage. But if you're really focused on being a specialist on one item, it's, it kind of takes away from that when you start throwing out all these other things. So we opened a separate division um, called My Architectural Glass, which that's kind of my baby here. And I say that because we're really not pouring any. I have not $1 in advertising. It's all being built off the back of social media, uh, which is really exciting for me, especially starting from nothing with this. Uh, it just shows how fast you can scale a company really off of just overcoming fear because I believe 99% of the people that on social media will never post anything because they're afraid, you know, fear is definitely their overriding factor. I could argue on almost every decision, but most importantly, from what I've seen on social media. That's a good point. I mean, I've never really been too afraid of like posting stuff, but my fear was overhead, you know, like I was comfortable with 20 grand, 30 grand, 40 grand, 50 grand, when I got to a hundred thousand dollars in in uh, monthly overhead, I was like, "Ooh, wait a minute, this is a lot." That's a big responsibility. And I pulled back, right? And I was like, mm, "I'm not really comfortable with this," and that hurt me even worse. Trying Here. to pull back. So, you know, I think that's a lot. Uh, you know, we all have our fears, right? And and it could be posting on social media, it could be uh, bills and overhead. Now I'm like where are we 250 <laughs> whatever you know like 300 what you want give me 500 overhead i don't care if we're at 500 overhead we should be at well i was gonna say if you got 500 overhead what's your bottom line look like yeah. bet you're here. i mean we're, we're working on it right like we're working on it but you know you get to the you get to the point where it's like you know you gotta you gotta not focus too much on that number and focus on on the top number and bringing separation between those two as much as humanly possible. And so, uh, but I was so focused on controlling my expenses that um, the day I realized that I couldn't control it really the way I wanted to, or that I like, I almost thought that I could grow this company like this and, and my expenses would be like this. Yeah. Right. But when you're dealing with like doors and parts and people and insurance and fuel and trucks. I mean, it's like every time you want to level up, it costs more money. Oh yeah. And so 
your expenses track your revenue to a degree. And there's some things you can do to win, but, um, and you guys are doing them like launching new locations. You know, we've seen a lot of huge success with that, but before we get into all of this, cause we can probably talk about that for hours. Um, I, I want to get to a more serious issue. Um, being that like all of your locations are on the West coast of Florida. Uh, I'd like to hear how you guys are doing. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, what does it look like? What are you guys doing to recover? Uh, what is the community like down there? Um, how is this affecting your business and other businesses? Can you, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for shedding light on this. Cause I think this is an important topic and we've all seen things like this on TV, including myself. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, well, wow, this is devastating, but I forget about it because it's never going to happen to me. Yeah. And after this, I mean, I get chills just thinking about it. Um, we're safe. And there's 185 employees that are employed here by our companies and everybody is safe. Three of these people have lost their houses completely. They're leveled. There is a plot of dirt where they were and they've lost everything. Luckily, we have culture is number one component at our company, even more so than customer service, because if you don't have good culture to service those customers, the customer service is irrelevant. Right. And so we rally, we're very conservative financially. We've made sure that these people already have uh, a, a year's worth of living, renting in a separate location while waiting on insurance and dealing, you know, with all that, bullshit, pardon my French. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's good. What does the community look like? There's parts of it that's devastated. I mean, literally devastated, leveled. I flew in, I was just at our national glass show um, three days ago. I flew back. And I saw boats in spots that I don't even know how you could have got them there without taking a helicopter and dropping them into the middle of these mangroves and trees and Fort Myers Beach is leveled. However, at age 12 at cancer, my parents thought they were going to lose me. In 2008, we started business. We're only four years into it. We come across the largest recession in the history of the world almost since the Great Depression anyway. Then we have COVID. Nobody's experienced anything like this, shutting down businesses, what's going to happen. But after every single one of those so-called tragedies, there's been something that was 10 times greater than the potential loss. Meaning I got cancer, but now look at me, you know, we're in Inc. Mm -hmm. 5,000, seven years in a row with our business. We're entrepreneurs. You're going to get anything I want now. The COVID or the recession happened, got rid of a lot of our competition that was kind of watering down the product. And it allowed us to get into manufacturing, which has scaled our business threefold. Yeah. The COVID was an opportunity for us to provide security for our employees by paying them for that 45 days that they were home. All benefits, all insurance, all retirement. When they came back, the culture would, I got five employees sitting right outside this door that would literally kill for me right now. No questions asked. And so... This is just another example. This you have to go through the back door. Yeah, yes, exactly. Silencer. <laughs> um, this, this tragedy is just another opportunity. And you say, well, how is that? Well, um, a year ago, we bought a machine called an autoclave. You need an autoclave to produce high impact rated glass. There's only one in Fort Myers right now. So that, that hurricane was scheduled to go to Tampa. There was people fleeing Tampa down to Fort Myers, and then that thing ended up hitting here. So out of all the places it could have hit, it hit where there's only one machine to really produce all this glass. So is as selfish as it probably sounds for me to say this, I mean, you can either give up and start having pity, or you can keep your head up and move forward. And we're really going to capitalize on this, um, as nasty as that sounds. No, I mean, I, I think with every, like every adversity, there's an opportunity, right? Yes. It all depends on how you look at it. And, you know, you talked about, um, you know, the 2008, right? Like I was investing in real estate at that point and lost a home foreclosure on my credit, right? It was an investment property. And I don't really talk about that that much because it, it was a moment of defeat for me. Yes. But it taught me so much. The education was worth a million times more 
than what I lost. Right. That's cool. And then on top of that, um, you know, it made me so much more grateful when I bought a house for, for my family, because for so many years I couldn't because that was on my credit. So I woke up every day thanking God for, for the house and the roof over my head that we owned. Right. And then, you know, you keep going and, and, you know, you have, like you said, you have COVID hit and you're like, man, I refuse to let people go. Like we're in this together. We're going to yes. do whatever it takes. And yes. well, my staff, I'm like, listen, if there's going to be pay cuts, I'm the first one that's going to uh-huh. cut. Good for um, you. And, and then, you know, you get through that and all of a sudden you like, you realize like, dude, how much more can be thrown at me? And, and, and now I'm so resilient that it doesn't matter. And I don't panic. It's like, it's like, okay, here's the situation. How do we capitalize? How do we find solutions? And that's what, you, you know, you're there. But listen, what, what's interesting though, is you're not on the back end trying to find one of those machines right now, right? You had already made the decision prior and now you're able to capitalize on the situation. Yeah, there's a big difference. Yeah. Right, 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 right. But like you said, to touch on not having the pity, but instead having a different mindset of saying, okay, this is bad. Now let's move on. How can we fix this? How can we build from this? Right. Because at the end of the day, we're still living. We're still breathing. Yeah. Um, and I'm a competitive person by nature. And it sounds to me like you are as well. I don't like to lose, but if I'm going to, I'm going to commend whoever beat me at whatever it is, like congratulations, because I gave you everything I had, but it ain't going to happen again. Right. And um, that's kind of the mindset we have here. And our culture, our culture here is just amazing. Um, I love it. I absolutely love what I do. So I want to dig into that a little bit. You said you and your brother were building the business. It was uh, like a little bit of chaos, but you guys thrive in that. And I know firsthand that like, I'm good at creating chaos and I'm Yeah, at- me too. Right? Yeah, and oh yeah. That I operate in is my own creation. Yeah. But my employees are like, Ryan, go away. Like, yes. you're causing more trouble than your health, yes. right? And and it's respectful, but at the same time, I'm like, okay. Um, and it's crazy to watch, but my team does it better than me. Yeah, right? of course. And, and um, you had said that you made a couple key hires and the culture changed. I want to dig in there a little bit because I'm really big on culture. I'm really big on, on, you know, I challenge my people every day. How do we, how do we increase and improve the culture on a daily basis individually? Because it's not me. It's not you. It's us together. And if every day we walk in the door and our mindset is, how do I make it better today? Then it has to be great. Right? So Walk me through like, okay, you hired these groups of people. Things are a little chaotic. You guys are growing really fast. What shifted? How did it happen? Well, well, first it got, it got my, my brother and I away again, starting from a very small business, you're very protective. Right. And so most small businesses uh, don't scale because they micromanage. And, and I, we did that. Uh, That's what my brother and I doing. That's what kind of held us back. So we were able to gain enough staff to have a sizable business, but we couldn't really break through that next layer of kind of plateauing because, you know, we had to have our thumbs on everything. And we made one hire that just made us feel comfortable. And it kind of like the epiphany went off. It's like, you know, we had customers tell us in the past, Keith, you're never going to have the success you want off the sweat of your own brow. You have to be able to delegate and trust people. And we'd say, well, they got to earn the trust. He says, no, you give the trust and let them lose it. And, you know, that really started hitting home when we opened the factory and we, we, um, my brother and I almost that crashed. That's a mini on social right there. Tamara. Yeah. Yeah. Cut that up. We got too many business owners. We know. Yeah. Yes. Managing stuff. And it, won't let it's go. cancer. It's cancer. It I mean, at the end of the day, there's, I'm good at one or two things in this business. And, I mean, we've got $15 million in machinery. I can't even turn one of them on. That's sad, (laughs) but I don't need to. 
I know five guys that can do it for me way better than I can. And so they would rather me stick in my lane. We stick in their lane. What I found that keeps that culture going is it's incumbent upon me to, to let them know that they don't work for me, that I work for them. And I take all the problems. Problem comes in, even if Sally makes a mistake measuring, that's my fault. I didn't give her enough training. I didn't give her enough resources. And I think what that does is it takes the fear of potential anxiety away from them. Like, oh God, I'm afraid to make a decision because I'm going to get fired. That rarely happens here. I mean, we had hardly any turnover, like really almost zero. Now in the beginning, we had a lot of turnover because uh, my brother and I were kind of hot tempered and I already told you three times, what are you, an idiot? And you know, that's just not how you talk to people, but we didn't know any better. Right. And so when we started seeing this happen, we kind of matured a little bit quicker um, because we know what we wanted. And then we found that path of least resistance was, you know, we take the problems, we, we encourage, we provide all the tools. We do a lot of training. You're empowering them to be we able to empower them. Yeah. 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 And as an employee though, like Tamara, tell me if I'm wrong, right? Like you would much rather have the feeling of, I made an impact today, even if it was stressful and, um, uh, and, and a lot of work than to come in and feel like you got to be in this narrow lane. And if you step outside of it, you get yelled at and, you know, you come in, you work nine to five and you, you know, you even got time to sit around and waste. Yeah. It's as from an employee perspective, it's so much nicer to know that you, I have your trust to make a decision. And even if it's the wrong decision is a decision was made, we're moving forward. And if it was terrible, we learn from it, but we're still moving on. And so having that forward momentum, it creates a lot of freedom and excitement um, in the workplace. So I think that that's definitely like that, that, that create, that's a huge part of the culture of our company for sure. Camera, you nailed it. Making decisions is the key here. Like everybody talks about Michael Jordan. He's got the most game-winning shots. Nobody talks about he's got the most missed game-winning shots. But Lisa Lager is making decisions. He was shooting. Like everybody yeah, knew he was going to anyway. He was double and triple teamed yes. every single time. Yes. So making decisions without having negative repercussions, that's explained to them right out of the beginning. You know the game, you know the nomenclature, you make a mistake, big deal. There's there's plentiful amount of opportunities out there. We're going to get it back. Tamara, uh, what do I say when we have a problem? I don't care whose fault it was. Yeah. We we don't, like, completely not important. What's no. important is where did the process break down? How do we fix it so that it doesn't happen again? Exactly. We're not here to bang on anybody. We don't care. Yeah. Let's sit yes. down and let's walk through the process. Okay, phone call came in. Bree, you answered it. How'd it go? She said, this, this, this. Okay, cool. Then we dispatched. Mike, Mike, you dispatched. What happened? You got there, did this, this, this. Okay, cool. After that, Tamara, what happened? And we go through everybody who touched that job. And they were like, okay, we see the breakdown, right? Yes. Cool. Do we need to like spend any more time on this? No. That's how a meeting should be. This is not a two-hour bash session or roast. Yeah. That, like, I commend you for that because too many people got to spend half a day on meetings that mean nothing. And it just, that ruins culture. Yeah. Like, good for you. That's awesome. Probably why you got a million Google reviews too. <laughs> I do have one. Yeah. I've been asking since day one, so that's good. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm very intrigued. Like, you know, when I first got into the door industry, I'm asking a little bit of selfish questions here. Um, you know, it was like, you could sell a door and it's like, we would just charge like $150 for windows. Now it's like, it cost us $400 for one eighth, you know, DSB glass across the top of a door, a 16 by seven. And it's like proportionally throws off the price of the door a little bit. And it's a huge, it's like, it's like now customers are like, mm, you mean I got to pay like $800 for windows? And we're like, yeah, I know it's crazy. Right. <laughs> so, so it's like, uh, it's, it feels like a lot. Cause we came from 150 and we're at like six, 800 for windows. Now what's going on in the glass industry over the last 
seven, eight years. Okay. There's a couple things to unpack here, but to address the price component, uh, last June, the glass industry itself had the largest price increase in the history of the glass industry. Yes. Yes. 40% right. overnight, right? 40% overnight. And uh, that was kind of a difficult pill to swallow because, you know, like you, that's all I sell is glass. And, you know, I got 185 mouths to feed plus their families behind me. Like what's going to happen to our business? Luckily for us, all of our competitors are going through the same thing. So as less as people stop showering, you know, I think <laughs> we're going to still be okay, but it's incumbent upon us to have massive amounts of really emotional intelligence to be able to navigate through this negotiation, if you will. Consistency in everything, including price, reliability, quality, not just quality, but great quality control. These are things that describe Somer USA. Somer is not some startup company, not one that you need to be worried about going out of business in the near future. Somer's a two, Somer and their family of businesses are $200 million companies. They're in over 100 countries, and they have locations in 20 countries. This is a large organization who stands behind their product and works through integrity. And there's not another company out there willing to drop what they're doing and help you out like Somer. These guys are awesome. Not only have they been loyal to the Torsion Talk podcast, they've been loyal to the technicians and the owners of the companies who install their product. In my opinion, if you're not at least offering Somer as an additional option, you're cheating yourself. Listen, first-time dealers, I've got a special for you. If you buy 10 or more Somers, between now and the end of the season six, while supplies last, we will offer you free shipping. You have no more excuses. The prices are great. The product is amazing. Go check out Somer USA and order 10 for free shipping. And um, I also think that the industry was so late on ever having increased, even though that 40% really hurt us, it was like gasoline, right? Like gas prices from as far as I can remember were 99 cents to a dollar and a quarter for like most of my life. Yeah. Okay. And then it kind of creeped up to two and then one administration went up, then it went back down. And now it's at a level that's like, what's going on here? Yeah. But people are still buying gas. Um, I don't, I don't really know what the actual reason for that was other than the fact that there's, it's like a, the mob, there's like five major glass families that actually produce the glass at a float plant. And once one of them did it, the other ones were like, well, if we just do that, where's everybody going to buy from? And that's what happened. They like kind of all did it. So they kind of have you by the short hair. Um, and so what are we going to do? Either give up or we kind of schooled up and started training all the salespeople, all the installers, Literally emotional intelligence. I went and, and studied for three years. I kind of went through a midlife crisis about five years ago. And this is where I kind of, I wanted to level up myself. Sounds like you deserved it, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like you, I mean, listen, any kid that gets cancer and survives, I'm like, did you deserve like a lifelong midlife crisis? Like, you know, I appreciate you, that. No I had a 72 Nova that. and I lost my baby in the storm, but I'll get another one. Yeah, you should. Um, you too, bro. The emotional intelligence component, you guys, and what I mean by that is the soft skills. You know, we hire, I'm sure you hire salespeople. I don't know what your onboarding looks like, but in the past, we'd hire sales. Oh, your sales guy, good. We teach them all the product knowledge and some of the nomenclature and say, okay, now go sell. Here's our pipeline. Here's the product, go sell. We never really kind of checked up on like, what does their sales look like? You know, okay, maybe you went to a Dale Carnegie class or you did this, but how versed are you on emotional intelligence? And I had to say, like, nobody even really knew what that meant, including myself. I kind of stumbled across it by accident. And so now every hire that we bring in, there's four weeks of training. 
day one, start four weeks, two weeks of product and process and two weeks of soft skills, um, EQ. And that's all done by a corporate trainer that I trained. And you're that has had a massive like impact. What's that? You're teaching things like empathy. And that's the bedrock of it for sure. Understanding your surroundings. Yeah. Yeah. People, stuff like that. Yeah. Being a good listener, you know, a salesman should only be talking really 30% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And what questions you want to make sure you're preserving people's autonomy. So how you ask the questions. I know, I know if I smile at Tamara, she hears me automatically. You're going to be 31% smarter just by hearing my smile. That's why they say you never make a, be, uh, a, a big decision when you're angry because you're kind of clouded by visceral. But if I can, if I can just make you a little bit, that's a massive hack. And even if it's on the phone, you know, you close your eyes, you can hear that I'm smiling at you. You know, that's a big difference. Yeah. Big difference. I've had many examples where I call to make a reservation. And it's like, yeah. And, and no, we don't have that time. But two hours later, and under normal circumstances, I'd probably take it. But because the call was kind of like, eh, I said, I'll call somewhere else. Versus, we love to help you. Unfortunately, I can't do that. Then we do this time. Yeah, no problem. And that's all just because of a positive attitude. Yeah. And I think there's a whole sequence of these that we kind of go over. Um, but it's you know, made a... My grandfather a came over from Italy and landed in uh, Massachusetts. And I feel like... Maybe somehow you and I are related. It could be. <laughs> I could be. I'm from I'm from Western Mass, but yeah, um, yeah great yeah. great area to be from. Yeah. Very similar ideals. Yeah, you right. Yeah. yeah, we we talk about a lot of the same things. Yeah, That's your, cool. your energy is a lot higher than mine. Um, I had a Celsius right before here, and I'm also drinking. Oh, I love Celsius. I yeah. had one this morning too. Oh, what kind? Mine was tangerine. Tangerine. Mm -hmm. I had the vibe. Oh, I so have my wife talked vibe. me into buying the the ones without the sucralose in them on Amazon. Like I didn't even know, but she was like, "Yeah, that's like the only ingredient in it that I really don't like." So I bought a bunch of them, and they taste like crap. So I'm like, oh. I'm going back to sucralose. So yeah, me too. I'm a sucralose addict. Yeah. Give me my one joy. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, but I I have I've really fought. It's funny I'm. I'm interested what made you uh, pick the word, obviously empathy goes along. Empathy is the key. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, you probably hate me for saying this. What made you say that? Um, it's the, it's, it's when I understood or learned empathy, it was a superpower. Um, not, not that I took advantage of it, but it was like, I saw past all of the blah, you know? Like, um, and, and, and it enabled me, like when I walked into someone's house, I could feel the energy, you know, and sometimes it was heavy. Sometimes it was light. Sometimes it was whatever. And then I get in the garage and 15 minutes later, the lady's crying and I'm like, I give her a hug, you know, and I'm hitting, I'm, I'm holding a stranger in her garage. I swear to God, if her husband comes home right now, I'm going to get, <laughs> this is not going to look good. But it's like, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you know, I try to explain to my guys, we're doing a job, but we're walking into the middle of someone's life, no matter what they're dealing with, how they're dealing with it. You know, um, they could have just lost somebody. They could be in a, in a breakup in a relationship. They could just lost a job. You know, there's lots of things that could be going on and too many times we walk in and out of people's lives and we don't even take the time to just care or smile or say nice things. You know, I, um, I was doing coaching for an HVAC company over here uh, where I work on company culture. And this lady, like I do one-on-ones, I interview the employees, right? Like I pull them in an office and sit down and, you know, Hey, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate the culture? And we start going through things and, and, she was like, you know, one thing I really love about this place is they give me flexibility. I'm a single mom, two kids. And I just sat back and I said, I bet you're an amazing mom. And she started crying. Well, yeah, that's, like, that's a great label. I mean, it's, it, 
that's the key right there. So a lot of people, like when we're doing the, the training, and I was one of these, a lot of people confuse empathy with sympathy. Mm -hmm. The massive difference. Empathy, I believe, is coming from like an old German word, which basically means like understanding. Like I can have empathy for someone and hate their guts. Mm -hmm. You don't need to like somebody to have empathy. It's really just seeing the seeing the world through their eyes. And right. so when you told that woman, when when you heard her, you could probably feel it in her that I I love out of all the things that she could have said, money, title, whatever, she said, it gives me flexibility for my kids which that's the elephant in the room. So he said, sounds like you're an amazing mother. That tugs right on the string. And that is the most powerful thing. That that's the, that's, that's it. That's it. That's how you build a massive rapport, which equals trust. And now you're doing a deal. Now the caveat here is, and I have to explain this. It's like having a black belt. You can use it for good or you can oh, use yeah. it for bad. 100%. And, and, Empathy is used by high-level performers or sociopaths. Narcissists. So it's narcissists say. because <laughs> it's the quickest way to. So when people tell, when we start training, they're like, "This sounds like manipulation." Mm -hmm. And I said the difference between manipulation and persuasion is intent. And I can tell you, based on all the Google reviews, and I put myself on social media every day, my intention is to do work for these people forever, which means I have to be doing things the right way. Yeah. And so when they say that, I say, you got a phone, you know, because these can be used for good and they can be used for bad. It's our job to make sure we're only using it for good. So it's a superpower. It's just I'm like giving away all my secrets that I teach when I, <laughs> this is like the gold nuggets that I have with these conversations and blue collar guys, you know, when you're trying to teach them these things they are like, mm, I'm not sure I trust you. It's so back. It's 180 degree different from what we're so used to having these didactic conversations, right? You talk, I talk, I got to give you my pitch. And the, I know what you're saying. Cause I was that guy. It just, it doesn't preserves other people's autonomy. Yeah. Maybe that's not what they want to hear. So that's cool that you do that. That's, that's really cool. Respect. Same. <laughs> I feel the same. So um, you have 10 locations, right? Yeah, 10 and a, and a factory. Okay. Yep. Well, so for like garage door companies, right? Um, you know, we're, we're I'm very familiar. One of my best friends owns a garage door company. So it's really? very similar business. Yeah, you're in house, you do sales calls, you install, like we do the same thing. Is he local there to you? Yeah, yeah, yep. Is he doing okay with the storm and everything? Yes. Oh, he'll be doing the same. Needs a lot of garage doors. Yeah. I know I need three at my house. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. So as a garage door company, like, I think uh, one of the biggest issues we have in in our industry is uh, the manufacturers, um, not all of them, but a lot of them struggle with customer service and quality control, right? And because what we do is we take a product and we go out and we install it and then we see damage and then we have to go back out and replace it. It costs the company service companies a lot of money to keep going back to these jobs when when the you know the quality control could have been done at the dock before the door left or you know after it was made or whatever um and so um I, I i'm having more and more conversations with door dealers who are thinking about getting into the manufacturing side mm -hmm. it's going to happen because the conversations are being had on a regular basis I can tell you where we broke the mold. We were the, we were that nobody that like go back eight years. Our company's identical to yours. Got a showroom, got salespeople, go out to their house, do our advertising. The phones are coming in. We order the product from a manufacturer. It comes in, nothing scratched or chipped. We got to deal with that headache, even though it's already scheduled to be installed. And now the manufacturer, shame on them, put us in an uncomfortable position and now have to call the homeowner. And after, you know, getting our, you know, what slammed in the drawer a hundred times, he said, you know, we're doing enough business now that we could actually invest in doing our own manufacturing. Right. That was a big step. And I'm sure it's going to be a big step for you because it's like, you're not just going to Home Depot and buying a machine and some raw billets of aluminum and making doors. Like there's a massive process here. 
yeah. and the structure and the building and all the nuances that go with it. However, that investment uh, will pay dividends, not only in culture, because it's going to allow many more areas of growth within the company, but your customer service uh, will go up. And then kind of the unknown unknown that comes with it is we had a two to three week lead time from the time we got a deposit till the time we were going back installed. That's how long it would take for the, the manufacturer to get us the product, kind of work it in the pipeline and get it out there. I get my high-end customers. Now it says, oh, that's why I had to move us. I had one today waiting for a piece of glass, got it in curved piece. And the guy says, listen, I will pay you anything. He's in Port Royal. It's one of the richest areas in the country. My daughter's getting married in two weeks. I will literally pay you anything. Get me to the front of the line. Now, if I didn't have a factory, that's not even on the table. Right. That one job is worth 30 jobs. Yeah. And he was happy to do it. He's telling Google review, telling his friends. And so the, the factory, although a massive responsibility, um, if you can, I'm a big proponent of being an outlier within the industry and doing that and starting to take the power away from those manufacturers. If it's possible, I'm a big proponent the same scenario with you guys has happened with us. Like when I first started, you could buy like an eight by seven, um, like builder grade door for like a hundred bucks. Right. Really? Yeah. Dirt cheap. And so you're like, Holy cow, how am I going to mark this up? Like 40% margin or 50% margin and make any money. You, you got to throw the margin out the window on those. Right. But so then guys were running around installing these things for $500 installed. Now that same hundred dollar door is like $300, right? And it starts, you know, the prices have gone up. Well, since the prices have gone up, the dealer's expectations have gone up. And now, um, you know, prior to all these increases, nobody was thinking about starting a manufacturer, right? Because it didn't make sense. The product's so cheap. Like, why would we invest so much money into selling a cheap product? And now we've had two acquisitions in our industry and both on the press releases said that they were at 30% EBITDA. And there's hardly any garage door companies at 30%, like dealers at 30% EBITDA. So we're like, wait a minute, you know, holy cow. Like we're buying these cheap products. These guys are making huge margins. We're not even making these margins. Like how do we get into this game? Why are we running around like taking the brunt of all this and not getting refunded for the labor to go back and install? And well, that's know. just it. That's where you're going to be like, how much of that is happening to you? Because even if you could afford the manufacturer now, just think about how much money and time you're going to save because our quality control, you know, we didn't just get into manufacturing so we could get the jobs quicker. We did because we were sick of the quality. Yeah. And and it sounds like you're dealing with the same thing. You know, there's only a handful of guys that are doing this or, you know, companies, if you will, that are doing this. And they're like, Comcast, you you don't like it, go make your own, which nobody could do. But right. we did, but we didn't want to just be like them. We don't manufacture glass for anybody. We do it for ourselves and some other people that appreciate the quality and value that goes in the glass. If you're shopping on price, we're probably not the right company. If you're shopping on trust, loyalty, and a long-term relationship, we're your guy. You get access 24-7. And we started saving a lot of money and not having to go back to to people's houses. It's, It's actually tough to put a number on what that cost is because not only do you have the cost of them leaving and then having to go back, but you have the missed opportunities they could have been doing on top of that. So it's, it's a much bigger number than most people think. Yeah. I'm constantly saying that, right? Yeah. Like all all these companies want to measure, Oh, I got a guy going out for two hours. I'm like, yeah, but he'd be doing something else during that. And putting in another $1,500 door on top of it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like the reverse of double dipping. Yeah. (laughs) It's a double loss for the business. Double losser. Yeah. And then we get back out there and that section's damaged and you're like, (laughs) yeah. Would you consider getting into manufacturing? Oh yeah. hundred percent. We're doing the research right now. Mm -hmm. How many different doors do you guys sell? Like out of, you know, you got, hopefully you collect a lot of data. I'm sure you got your top three or four products. Like when you get into manufacturing all those different panels, is it more so just colors or is it designs and prints and embossing? Like, 
One of the biggest challenges is what we're researching right now is all the different variations. There's so many in the garage door industry, right? But there's not many niche door manufacturers. And so that's kind of where we're leaning. And because, you know, probably not a great idea for me to just spill the beans on here. Um, I'm going to reserve the right not to share all the details uh, because nobody knows this yet. Uh, this will be the first time anybody's even heard that we're even involved in this. Um, but I, I'm, if we follow through with what we want to do, we're going to disrupt the industry and we're going to do it right. That's what you should be doing. He doesn't know any other way to do it. <laughs> right. That's how we grow. And it's going to force the manufacturers to do better on their end too. So more of this doesn't happen, but you shouldn't hinder your growth or expectations for your customer because they might not like, I don't care what my, I don't care what anybody thinks. Yeah. As long as I know I'm doing right by my people in our brand, I, I stop listening to them because our banker in 08, when we want to get into manufacturing, you guys are idiots. Like we're in a recession in Southwest Florida. Nobody does manufacturing in Southwest Florida, let alone in a recession. We're like, well, well, we want to, we, we, we have the numbers, we have the data. We, this will be a sustainable business just based on our own work, let alone if we start selling to other people, which I'm sure you'll get into doing. You'll end up having enough capacity that you're making all your doors, but you got some downtime. Now maybe you're offering a couple other lesser quality ones, not your proprietary stuff to your competition because that's what's happened to us. Yeah. And it's now my shower door is really only about 40% of our factory's capacity. 60% is to other glass shops, which is wild. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think it's great that you should do that. And here's the other thing, Ryan, you could say every secret you want that when I really started diving in onto the empathy and you know, Gary V you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Um, he, he's really good. 90 Nobody can something percent is not going they're going to hear your secrets, but they ain't going to do it. it I mean, you got to be somewhat crazy to do it. I you honestly know. believe that a lot of door manufacturers are afraid of me and I don't, you know, I buy from them and I count on them right now. So I'm kind of like, if they find out that I'm going to start building doors soon, are they going to cut me off? You know? So you got a little bit of that too, right? Well, I'm you will have that. We had that. Yeah. And I'm tired of a customer being like, Ooh, I want this door. And I've got to explain, well, okay, so we can sell you that door, but the companies like run like a bunch of knuckleheads and we might get the right door. We might get the wrong door. And then if we get the right door, it's probably going to be damaged the first time. So we just want to set the expectations that I can get you this door, but they may tell us it's coming and it's not coming. And we're going to communicate to you based on the stuff that we're hearing, but it's almost always wrong. Like that's what that's not what I want to hear as a customer. No, yeah, no, 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 no. But that's what we got to tell them. And we may get the door in it probably going to be damaged. And then once we figure that out, we're going to call and, you know, we're going to get a new section and then that may take eight weeks, 12 weeks. And then once we get that, we'll call you and reschedule and come back out. And hopefully that one's not damaged too. And so I'm just over that whole mess. And so there's a better way. And, uh, you know, I think I can figure it out. You'll be, you'll be a disruptor. And I commend you for even thinking, but most people won't even attempt that. And I would tell the manufacturer on the side, we went and told ours, listen, we want to grow just like you guys. And you've left us no other choice. I mean, you know, these problems, you're sick of me calling, telling you about these problems. You tell me all the time, no one else calls. Well, because no one else gives a about their business like we do. Right. That's why. Yeah. Look at the Google reviews. The people you're comparing me to don't cool. have any. Yeah, we don't have these. We we don't have this with any other uh, customer of ours. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I'm one of the most expensive. So I can tell you that if my product's not perfect when I put it in, like if I paid eight hundred dollars cheaper and I got a little ding in my door, maybe it's not a big deal because I'm a val like like I'm a price shopper, right? Like I I shop dent, scratch and dent anyway, but my customer, they're not going for that, no. like. 
I'm wiping down the inside and the outside of the door. Everything's got to be perfect. We're caulking the trim. We got to make sure the trim's perfect. We're doing this. We're doing that. And and listen, there's a huge difference between someone who can install a garage door and an installer because an installer does more than just install the door. He walks the customer through the expectations, how it's supposed to work, what to look for, how to service the door, all this stuff. And then they walk away and the customer feels great. Someone who can install a door shows up breaks the door down, puts the door up and leaves. And the customer experience sucks. And it takes a lot. There's a huge gap between having a door installed and having the experience that we deliver. And so yes, does matter when there's a ding in the door because we set the expectations that it's not going to have a ding and that we are going to install excellence and we are gonna give you our best. And it's gonna be an experience like you've never had before. And that's why you'll see, we have reviews that call us the Chick-fil-A of the garage door industry because we care and we put a lot of effort into getting it right. And so when we don't get it right because of one thing and we invest a lot, it takes a lot on the front end, in the middle and in the back and we ruin it with one problem every single time and that's the manufacturer quality control that causes our our whole process that we invest so much into to not be perfect sounds like you know what you need to do yeah. i'm gonna call you for an investment tomorrow no i'm just kidding I can't wait <laughs> yes yes i'll be a board member <laughs> there you go. man it's been great talking to you You just pulled out of me something that i wasn't even ready to share i'm still in the process of planning it so uh, that's cool that. amazing story bro and i'm i'm just glad you're alive dude because uh you know if there's something that hits my heart harder than anything it's it's kids uh going through adult type stuff that they shouldn't be going through and so uh dude that's probably made you so resilient and so strong i'm grateful for it i really i mean at that time there was times i wanted to like end it you know kids are kids they make fun of you lose your hair and i was late to the party when my friends were meeting girl but it's made me who i am today and i'm extremely grateful for it yeah yeah but it, you can tell and you're you seem like an amazing human being bro and i'm glad i got to meet you so uh and Brittany, uh shout out for connecting us and making go girl yeah yeah so <laughs> Uh, all right, bro. Thank you so much. Keep plugging away down there. And uh, please let us know if there's anything that we can do here from Georgia or Texas to help you guys. There is. There is. What is it? It's Keith Dobman at LinkedIn or it's My Architectural Glass on Instagram. I'd love like to get stuff. some more followers. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We're, all right, we'll cool. put that link in our post and in, in our uh, podcast. And we'll encourage everybody to follow. Respect. Awesome. Appreciate buddy. it. Have a good day. All right, you too.